and welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein, and I know a little bit about technology. And I'm Gabby Schulte, and I know next to nothing about technology, but I am here to learn. That's why each week we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. Today, Gabby, who are we talking to? Today, we're talking to Paul Lackey. Paul's a partner at the law firm Stinson and has served as lead trial lawyer, outside litigation counsel, and trusted advisor to large financial institutions for over two decades. Paul has won numerous multi-million dollar jury verdicts in state and federal jurisdictions around the country. Three of those were among the top 100 largest verdicts rendered in the U.S. for that year. Paul, welcome to the show. Sorry, I got stuck on the unmute button, which is exactly uh, one of the things I suppose we'll talk about today, how how technology has <laughs> affected my practice. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm a complex commercial litigator. I manage the Dallas office for Stinson, but I manage a group of litigators in Texas and New York that does lawsuits all over the country and, and frankly, all, all over the world, uh, East Asian arbitrations uh, and cases in London. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the interesting things that we've seen is that the interaction of, of a pandemic and law, which is a very traditional field, and I'm a simple caveman trial lawyer, and, and technology. And how um, how even simple caveman trial lawyers have to do things like learn to quickly hit that mute or unmute button on their Zoom calls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we we understand that for sure. Or when you're at home because you're working remote and you have a kid who comes by or a dog that barks or anything like that. It's uh, it's one of those. I, I always just think of now the guy who just said, I'm not a cat. Yeah. Uh, we got to get him on the show for sure. <laughs> Actually, that's funny you say that. So I, I gave a, a speech to about a thousand companies uh, two weeks ago. And my opening intro was the video of the lawyer who had the cat. I don't even know what you call it because I'm not tech enough to know what you call it. The, the cat covering. And he's in front of the court. It went viral nationally and probably internationally. And, you know, I like to start off every uh, tech thing with I'm not a cat, just in case my kids come into my my Zoom things and turned me into some kind of other animal. Uh, I'm not a cat, but I did buy some cat masks after that video. <laughs> yeah, we we spoke to Rod, who's the uh, the lawyer um, behind it. And uh, we're like, we got to get you on our show and we still got to do that because uh, it's hilarious now. And I think good and bad for him because now he's he's a meme. So he. <laughs> He's everywhere now, which is exciting. But uh, speaking of everywhere, you named a bunch of different locations. So you're in Dallas, but you oversee New York and, and you mentioned some overseas people. I'm kind of curious when it comes to technology and your clients and in so many locations with that, how, how does that work for you? So when they need something, they come to you and they say, Paul, win our case. You're the man. We know you you got this. Win our case. And it's something crazy. It's something difficult and challenging. And and you not necessarily being on the tech side, you're you're legal. You want to win their case, but that doesn't mean you want to sit there and say, let's take data and, and figure out what this means. So how does that impact you? How do you use that? What do you do? Do you ask your clients to find the tech? Do you ask your associates to find the tech? Or are you not even thinking about that during the process? Yeah, that, that's probably several levels below me. What I noticed, um, even with international clients, they were in the U.S. all the time. Prior, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, it was 
uh, it, it was a casual procedure for a Chinese or Indian client to be in the U.S. As a matter of fact, they were going to be here once a quarter, once a month, and it was it was very regular travel. I have an arbitration where uh, Dallas is the center of the arbitration. The client's in Beijing, and we've been trying to set up depositions for a year. And um, and literally last year, the client in Beijing says to me, Paul, I can't physically come to Texas or they won't let me back in Beijing. And I'm like, oh, great. It's the Texas virus now. Uh, you know, it, I have a case in Chicago. Chicago has banned people from Texas from coming to Illinois without spending 14 days in a hotel. There is a sign in the Chicago airport that lists five states, Texas being one of them, and says, you have to quarantine. I had the judge in Chicago on a Zoom call uh, say to me, you better not show up in my court <laughs> because they didn't want people from Texas last year when we were really a hotspot of COVID traveling. So um, one of the things is we deal a lot more in Zoom. Right. And so uh, even things that used to be phone calls have now become Zoom meetings with overseas clients. So I would typically say in the past, I would physically see an overseas client once a quarter um, and we might have a call once a week. But you never thought about making a Zoom call. For some reason, um, Zoom has gone inside of everyone's brains. And the default for any kind of meeting these days is a Zoom meeting. Right. And, and, and we actually, uh, my law firm bought a thousand Zoom licenses last year and hired an outside Zoom expert to come teach people like me um, how to use Zoom. I, I don't know what I learned from that, um, because if someone changed me to a cat on Zoom, I don't know how to change myself back. Uh, I don't know how to make a fancy background on Zoom. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I struggle with the mute, mute button occasionally. Uh, so, the, but it's really, it's really changed um, the way we look at things like depositions. And, and here's kind of the, the problem with that. And there might be some tech answers to this, but um, we, we've put off a bunch of depositions. I'm an in-person person. Uh, I think it's easier to lie to a camera than it is to lie to my face. And, um, and I want, I want the opposing side to be there. And I generally want my client to be with me while they're being deposed. And I'll tell you what happens when you don't allow that. We had a Zoom deposition three weeks ago. And um, it's, it's, you know, set up like this where the camera's one directional. It's just pointing at your face. And so every question, the person answering looked up and to the right. Pause, answer the question. That's not obvious at all. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the first couple, you're kind of like, you know, how maybe you think about things. Uh, but it was, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't like a, it was a stare. Answer the question. After about five minutes, we said, "What are you looking at? Is there something behind your monitor?" Well, it turned out the other side's principal in the lawsuit was standing behind the monitor, writing answers on a whiteboard and holding them up to read. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, and this was at a, an, an under oath deposition, something you never wow. would have considered or been concerned about or thought about happening a year and a half ago, because these things happen very rarely. And if they did happen, they happen so rarely you didn't think about what do you do about a Zoom deposition? Now, one of the things that I know we've talked about with arbitrators and doing an arbitration where you have people in East Asia, people in, uh, in, in Thailand, and people in Texas doing the arbitration are 360 cameras, right? So that the camera, instead of just showing the, the view of me, 
shows a 360 of the, of the area around it. And I've also read the same thing about high school and college test taking. Like, you know, the students are sitting there putting their iPhones by the screen, not for answers, and the answers come up. And so um, I, I've seen some judges and some arbitrators talk about 360 degree cameras so that you can actually make sure there's no one else standing there that's not supposed to be or saying or doing, you know, things they're not supposed to be doing. And uh, Paul, that actually kind of makes me curious about what do you think? I mean, I think you kind of laid out some of the challenges the pandemic brought, brought pretty well. What do you think about, do you think some of these changes are here to stay? I mean, do you think that, you know, the, the access across, um, you know, locations uh, opened up a door and if, if, there are kind of situations where you kind of can figure out how to make sure that no one's, you know, reading off of a whiteboard. Do you think that's something that, you know, you might see um, kind of even after the pandemic gets, you know, a little bit more under control? Well, I, I think you'll see it accelerated some trends and some technology trends. You know, one of the things in the pandemic, the courts are open, but, but it's not business as usual. And there are judges down there. And we've gone down for hearings. You know, it's one of those things you better buy uh, something to check your temperature with before you go to the courthouse because you can't walk into court until they check it. You walk in, you think you're going to have a hearing or you think you've got a witness. Your temperature reads a couple of degrees high. They don't let you in. You know, now you're in trouble. Um, we've been in we've been in live hearings in the last year and a half where the other side came in with a stack of papers and said, your honor, I'd like to hand. And the judge goes, hey, uh-uh. You can't hand any papers. And if they don't understand the if they don't have their technology together in a way to access that paperwork and show the witness and show the judge, they're out of luck. And you want to you, you know, you tell some 55 year old lawyer who's in court, don't don't hand me any papers, don't hand the witness any papers. And they haven't gotten with their technology people in a way to understand how they're going to use those exhibits. And they just they freeze up. Um, so. I don't know. I think it's accelerated a few trends. I think in the in the future, you'll see occasional Zoom depositions. Uh, I have to tell you, the one thing uh, it, it, I've noticed, they tried to have a Zoom trial. They tried to have some Zoom trials, right? And you get exactly what we talked about, dogs barking, the kids coming in. Um, people already don't pay a lot of attention. Jurors don't when they're sitting in trial. You put them in their house where they have, you know, my iPad right here. You can't see I'm reading my iPad, right? And um, and so no court that I know of in the country has allowed a binding Zoom trial. Uh, like I said, it's much easier to lie to a camera than it is to lie in person. That um, with the Almost all the courts these days have a six foot rule and they're moving the juries 360 and they're putting up plexiglass and everyone has to wear a mask except for the witnesses. I don't know any court that allows a witness to wear a mask because the judge knows when they can see their facial expressions uh, that people act differently and people are more likely to lie when they can wear something that covers this much of their face and, and more likely to think they can get away with it. I've seen witnesses that in live depositions two years ago were horrible, obvious liars. And on a Zoom deposition six months ago, looked like, you know, Johnny Honest guy. Uh, so I, I, I think maybe if the technology advances to the point where, you know, you had 360 degree cameras, you could make sure no one's watching. Uh, it, it, you felt like it had some uh, way to, to read each other uh, in all the signals that you get in live. But I think at the end of the day, jury trials are going to have to happen uh, and they're going to have to be live and major depositions are going to be live. And I suspect 
that when we get through the pandemic, legal life will look much more like it did pre-pandemic than during the pandemic. So, Paul, what I heard is if you're going to commit a felony, do it now. You're likely to be able to get off. Oh, it's amazing. So Texas tries between nine and 10,000 trials a year. There have been 50 um, criminals are are guaranteed a speedy trial right in the U.S. And I don't know how we're going to catch up on all the criminal trials. I don't know how we're going to catch up on the civil trials. New York gets 3 million new cases filed a year. There were two months this year you couldn't file a case or a motion in New York. There is an amazing backlog um, in all of the major jurisdictions, and I don't see how we catch up on it. Um, uh, you know, I suspect technology is going to be part of the answer. Um, if you if you have to do a trial in two days that you would have done in a week, maybe you can speed things up without doing paper exhibits, for example. Um, or, or, or something, you know, nowadays it's pretty common to have hyperlinked briefs, right? Where the judge takes the brief, it's on a screen, he pushes the button, it goes right to the case. That's become commonplace and actually required in, in some jurisdictions, mainly the bigger appellate jurisdictions. But so I think you're, you see some acceleration of technology um, and what, what people are going to do with it. But I also think you see a lot of people going, I don't know what we do to catch up on 10,000 jury trials last year in Texas and 3 million cases in New York. Yeah, it, uh, I'm with you on that. I don't know how they're going to do it. It's it's going to be a process. It's that's, that's the only answer. It's it's going to be a process and it doesn't sound like a very fun one. Um, so people, if you're listening, do not commit fraud for the sanity of uh, anyone in the legal field right now. Um, but yeah, you've brought up a lot of good points. And, and I think we are always focusing now on how tech and how law and everything is changed and affected by the pandemic, because that's kind of where we're in. And I'd like to kind of ask your thoughts on, do you see that ending anytime soon? Do you think we will be doing these Zoom and looking, because you mentioned, you know, getting cameras that are all around and can see every, you know, 360. Is it more likely that you think that's going to be the next step or that we'll be going back in person to offices and things where where we wouldn't need that? Uh, I, I think maybe it's a combo. I'm not really yeah. sure, but I'd be oh, curious. You're starting, to see, um, you're starting to see some movement finally. Last Friday, the Texas Supreme Court uh, officially allowed each jurisdiction to decide if jury trials could go forward now. So they were they were barred until last Friday. It was, you couldn't do it. So last Friday, they're allowing the jurisdictions to decide. And, you know, you've seen this massive decrease in COVID cases over the last few months. But more importantly, you're really seeing a a pickup in the amount of vaccinations, right? So we're hitting like two and a half million a day. We do 3 million flu shots a day regularly. So it's not unreasonable to assume in the next month, as they finally got it out to the CVSs and the Walgreens, who had the technology to remind people to come in for shots, to schedule people shots, and have been doing that for years. Uh, It's not unreasonable to think you might get to 3 million vaccines a day here in the next week or two. And at 3 million a day, you know, you're talking about reaching some kind of of serious serious herd protection in in the next three months. So um, many of the law firms have started analyzing when we go back in the offices and I think we're thinking, well, we're thinking we're going to know a lot more in two months. We're going to know the pace of vaccinations. We're going to know the effect uh, on the on the variants. 
And we're going to know things like hospitalization rates. And we're going to know how many of our people have gotten vaccinated. And um, so I think in two months, we'll all be making better decisions. Uh, my suspicion is people will start moving back into the offices in September, uh, August or September, and that we'll be fully in the offices by the end of the year. Um, I've been kind of saying for a while, I thought the third quarter, end of the third quarter, was where things would really start to normalize. Now, that normalization will still involve, I, I think, people wearing masks, go to the grocery store. Um, it'll still involve a little more social distancing. Uh, I have a bunch of restaurant and bar clients, though, in, in Dallas and Texas, and they're telling me that every place is full. That starting last, you know, when the governor lifted the mask mandate last Wednesday, uh, they saw... The restaurant said, oh, we're going to keep some limited seating. And that was not true, um, that they've taken it out. Everyone's waiting in lines. The restaurants are full. Bars are full. There's a pent up. My, uh, I have some friends getting, uh, not friends, friends and clients getting ready to open uh, a couple of new clubs in Dallas. And they believe there's a, a pent up desire to be out. And that you're going to get that clubs and restaurants and bars could break records over the next six months, you know, six months to a year as people didn't spend a whole lot of money the last year and a half, they might've saved up a little more. Um, obviously the job loss wasn't as bad as we first thought it was going to be. And people that haven't been out for a while now may go out three nights where they would have gone out one night before. So I think we're heading more towards a normalization. I, I think in a year or two, um, this will be like a flu and we'll have yearly vaccinations with maybe some boosters with variants. Um, so I don't think it's going to be Ultimately, I think we'll be figuring out how to do that. I just don't know how you catch up on a year's loss of jury trials. Uh, I, I think that's where you're going to have 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 to figure out the judges. I know the judges in New York are overwhelmed. The commercial division had three mm -hmm. elder judges retire. That's the busiest, most prestigious state court in the country, and uh, they 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 don't have money for bailiffs, and they don't have money for clerks. And that's New York, the capital of the world. Um, yeah. So, you know, you're looking at it, you're like, what, what, uh, you know, you ought to be thinking, what can technology do to help us short circuit some of the things in litigation um, and help us get there sooner than later? Because I don't know how we make up this last year and a half. Yeah, no. And, and getting back to that, I mean, yeah, I think on every oh. level um that we're talking about there is there there people are anticipating a big surge in consumerism um you know people want to go on vacation and they want to travel again but do you think there will be i don't even know how to really uh, describe it but you mentioned a backlog um first actually i kind of want to know what what do you think the some of the costs of the backlog might be um that maybe we wouldn't really think about and then also do you think there might be sort of like a, a boom in litigation whatever that oh. might look like yeah yeah no i i expect and i've been saying this for a while i expect a big litigation boom third and fourth quarter probably starting third and fourth quarter of this year people have held off suing while they've looked at what's happened, um, people have kind of been super careful with their budgets the last year and a half, including litigation budgets, and the courts have been largely closed. Um, I'll tell you, there, there's some interesting things. Um, right now, a jury trial has been impossible to get. I mean, you couldn't even do it anywhere um, and, and going to be very hard to get. So instead of a case taking two years from beginning to trial in Texas or New York, which has kind of been the average for decades, it might be three years. It might be three and a half years before you get a jury trial. Um, bench trials have been much quicker. 
because the jury trials weren't going on. But as soon as the jury trials start, the bench trials go to the back of the docket. So bench trials have been faster than ever the last year, but then they're about to be slower than ever. Um, I've been telling a lot of people, you might want to look hard at doing an arbitration agreement, even if you don't have one in your papers. If both sides want to get to some kind of um, conclusion and have some control over it, uh, signing an arbitration agreement prior to starting the litigation might be a way that you guys have some control. Because I think what's going to happen is eventually you're going to get jury trials, but you might not get the jury trial you want. Historically, in big cases, you've gotten unlimited time, virtually unlimited time to present your case to a, a jury in the kinds of cases I do. Um, I think that that the judges are going to look at this and they're frustrated. Um, they're frustrated with the staff. They've been a lot of them were scared to be in the, you know, around the staff the last year. And they're going to say, OK, Paul, you have two days. And figure out how to get how to get everything in front of your jury in two days. Uh, and I think they're going to decide a lot more things on the papers. I think you're going to see um, judges looking for excuses to throw out cases uh, that maybe they traditionally haven't looked for in the past. And, and so I think, uh, you know, if you're involved in litigation right now, you need to be real cognizant of motion practice. Where can you push the other side? Because if you can take something off the judge's platters, their platters are full. If you can take a discovery dispute off of it, if you can take a, a trial off of it, if you can take witnesses off of it, uh, they're going to be inclined to grant those kinds of motions. Um, and I think you need to really think hard about uh, alternate forums uh, to litigate in. Can you uh, can you do this in an arbitration? And if you do it, you can also decide some of the tech problems. I mean, one of the things with arbitrations the last year and a half is we've been arguing with arbitrators over whether or not we're required to do depositions or final hearings by Zoom. Uh, the average age of an arbitrator at AAA is in their 60s. Um, they don't want to be live in, with a whole bunch of people the last year and a half. They were all high-risk categories. And so they were really defaulting to uh, doing things by Zoom. We had a tr uh, judge in New York tell us three months ago we'd gotten four extensions for uh, everyone together. It was a, a, a huge international case, witnesses all over the world. And we went in, I think it was four times, we got extensions on depositions. On the fourth time, three months ago, the judge said, no more COVID extensions. This is a brave new world. We do depositions by Zoom now. We had all the parties didn't want to do it. All the parties. No one was arguing that. The judge said, I don't care. Um, I have an arbitration going on now where the judge on the last uh, extension said, no more extensions. Figure out how to do it. Even though both parties were agreeing, figure out how to do it in COVID. There's going to be an argument that having a, uh, a, a Zoom final hearing or Zoom depositions uh, are, are something that can get an arbitration overturned. And so I'm, I'm telling people now, if you want to know what you're going to be doing, how you're going to be trying this case, if you go sign an arbitration, you're going to put in there whether Zoom is required or not and put in there whether Zoom depositions are required or not. The final hearing has to be live. You can make those decisions now, whereas you might not be able to make them if you don't think about it uh, you know, beforehand. Yeah, you just gave us a lot to think about. I got to be honest with you, Paul, this this conversation is it's a little exciting and a little sad because uh, being on the tech side, I'm like, yes, I'm thinking of all kinds of solutions I can solve for you. But then thinking about your side, I'm like, oh, I am so stressed for you. <laughs> like it sounds uh, it sounds just, yeah, stressful to say the least. Well, the first time I walked in the courtroom and they wouldn't let me in until they took my temperature and I kind of run a little hot anyway, it was like it was hot outside. I've been hearing, I was like, what happens if my temperature is a degree high? <laughs> and I can't, I got to talk. 
I don't know what happens. Yeah. I mean, I go outside and pick up the phone and call Can I call in from the payphone outside the courtroom? Like, you know, it, it's uh, it was it was sort of very brave new world feeling, you know, take your temperature, sign. You have to sign, uh, you know, a paper that says you haven't been exposed to COVID or had any COVID symptoms. I've got really bad allergies. I don't know. Oh, those COVID symptoms, my allergies are killing me. I got cedar fever right now. <laughs> I go in, you know, you cough in public and people look at you like you're a mass murderer. I'm like, no, it's allergies. I promise. Yeah. It's, it's like staring like daggers yeah, 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 yeah. across the room. And I feel guilty if I start coughing. Like if I'm, I'm in a mask in a grocery store and I start to cough, you know, you're, you're trying to really repress it. You're like walking away and you feel guilty. You know, like you did something wrong. You did. You shouldn't cough in public anymore. Right. It is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and we know the courts cannot take you right now. So don't do it. No crimes. <laughs> um, so one of the exciting parts of having you on is even though we're a tech podcast, we obviously focus a little bit in in line with the, the loft side with e-discovery being one of the topics we like to cover. And so what I'm kind of curious with you is, can you tell us anything, just a, we want to hear a story about any of your clients, anything that came that you thought maybe I, I can't actually win this case, or I'm going to win this case, but I've never heard of a case like this, or this is the craziest client I've ever had to deal with. And you don't have to name the client. Um, we understand you probably can't do that. But is there any just, you know, from your perspective, totally different from the tech side, being a you know partner in in oh. litigation, what can I, I can think of one that's that's got a tech element. We were engaged, and this is not what we do um, typically. We were engaged by a guy that had a claim to, or believed he had a claim to half of a lottery ticket in the in what at the time was the biggest or second biggest multi state lottery, uh, well over a hundred million dollars. Uh, and this was this was several years ago. Uh, he was in another state and he came to us. He was recommended to us by uh, a guy that owned some businesses in his state that had been on the opposite side of us. And he goes, Oh, you want some really mean, you know, people that you don't want to mess with on the other side, you know, call, call Paul. And um, so the guy had been living with a woman and they weren't married. And she calls him one day and he's a, he didn't finish high school and he's a mechanic and she's a bank teller. She calls him one day at work and says, hey, the mega lottery is up to whatever, 300 million, whatever it was. Stop on your way home, get five quick picks. I'm going to get five quick picks on my way home and we'll split it. She texts him, right? He's like, yeah, cool. No problem. He stops. He gets five. She gets five. They come home and uh, they're kind of sitting around that night. She's like, oh, let's check and see if we won. She gets on the computer He's not computer savvy or tech savvy. And he's kind of standing beside her. And she goes, oh, we didn't win. He's like, oh, okay, you know, not surprising. We didn't win the lottery. They, he goes to bed. She maybe doesn't go to bed that night. She says the next morning after he went to work, she rechecked the lottery tickets. And it turned out they won. Um. So first thing she does is she drives to the store that she bought the lottery ticket at. And she goes, hey, can you tell where the lottery tickets are bought? Which store? He goes, yeah, I know that we have the winner from my store. She's like, I'm the winner. So now she's like, hmm, so it was my ticket. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she has two kids that he's been taking care of. And, um, and she says to him, hey, 
Uh, she actually calls him and says, come to my office. He comes to her office. She pulls him into one of the side offices at the bank she works in and says, we won the lottery. And he's like, what? What we won, we won the, what are you talking? He's like, she's like, yeah, we won the lottery, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I have an ex-husband and the divorce isn't final. And he's super abusive. And if he finds out, he's going to beat me up, kill me, and he's going to want half the money. So don't tell anyone at your at work. Don't tell anybody. You watch the girls. I'm going to drive to the lottery office and I'm going to turn the ticket in as the winner. Um, so she leaves this little town. She goes to the lottery office. She says, hey, I'm the big winner. She goes to L.A., um, gets Goldman Sachs involved uh, to take over the money and manage it and, buy, and, and buys a house. Goldman Sachs helps her get a house in a, in a gated community in L.A. that doesn't have um, house numbers. And it's gated, so that it's real hard for people to get inside and find you to like serve you for lawsuits. Um, she calls him and says, "Okay, I love you." And she's texting him these things. "I love you." She's sending him, you know, nude selfies. "I love you." We're going to be together forever. Um, but just stay there. Don't come here. And I've got to figure a couple of things out. Uh, in the meantime, he tells some people in his office. Uh, so. They have to have layoffs at his mechanics office. They're like, you're a multimillionaire. We wouldn't lay you off normally, but you're a multimillionaire. You could probably come back and buy the mechanics office. So they laid him off. So now he's without a job. He's sitting in her house. Six months later, she uh, calls him and says, you're a no good son of a gun. You don't even have a high school degree. You were never good enough for me. And it was my ticket that won, not yours. Get out of my life and um, get out of my house. Oh my God. She, she sends a private eye to the city to take back the dog that he's been keeping for her. So she takes his dog. Wait, she takes his dog, but she leaves yeah. her children? No, she sends someone to pick. She sends her brother to pick up the kids. <laughs> oh, it's like, oh okay, my the, God. No, the kids get picked up first. The kids get picked up first. <laughs> okay, just, just get um, cool. I was like six months. Of- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The kids got picked up within, within the first couple of weeks. Got it, got and, it. And so. It's still so, kind of long. Right. So yeah. he comes to us and tells us this story. And he's like, do I have a claim? And we're like, she texts you, you pick up five and I'll pick up five and we'll split it. And he's like, yeah. And she was texting me all that day, texting me to come over. But this is now, gosh, when we first talked to him two or three years later, he's, he's on to different phones, but he kept the old phone. And, um, and then we go through litigation. It might've been four years by the time we got tech people involved. Um, and so she denies this ever happens and and says, no, he got tickets. I got tickets. My tickets won. Huh? Sucker. Um, and, uh, you know, she's like, we weren't really dating. You know, we weren't that close. So we have the first company go through and pull up the text messages. Right now, of course, the first company finds all the nude selfies that she's sending him and all the we're going to live together forever. But nothing. But those were later in time. Nothing from the earlier one. In the meanwhile, we're subpoenaing AT&T and, and, and they fight those subpoenas like crazy. They don't just turn over those texts. Um, and that's their corporate policy. And they're really hard to get. We weren't. And they're like, oh, they're also four years old. We don't know if we have them. So we have this old phone. We, we take it to one company. 
they get all the nudes, but they don't get any of the texts from the two weeks around the actual time of the, the lottery. We take it to a second company. They say a big company, a big name tech company, and they get a few more texts, but not the ones that they're like, oh, we don't think we can retrieve the ones from those two weeks. We take it to a smaller tech company. Um, and in the meantime, we're going through the case, doing the depositions. Um, we're at the mediation when the smaller tech company goes, hey, we got the text from those two weeks. Now, they're not broken up by text. They're all in lines. They're hard to read. The symbols are converted into, you know, word, letters or whatever. But they say, hey, you get five and I get five and we'll split the winning. We're in the mediation. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> and uh, and he was willing to take one number that we told him was too low a number. Um, we get these we get these uh, texts and we're like, you know, take another number. Uh, the number gets up pretty high and he has a twin brother. And he's like, OK, we get to the number where he's like, I talked to the accountants. I talked to whatever. This was the number where me and my brother never have to work again, you know, mm-hmm. And we're like, we think you could probably get another 30 or 40 million. We just got these texts today. Um, And, you know, look, you still have to prove them up. They don't look like you would expect a text to look. They've got spaces. They've got whatever. And and he's like, nope, not a greedy man. Uh, You know, I just want this is enough money that me and my brother never have to work again. And uh, and so, you know, that was ended up being. $10, $20 10, $20 million more than he would have gotten if we hadn't gotten the text and a number that he was happy with. But it was the third tech company and no one could explain to me why one couldn't do it and the big company couldn't do it and why the third company found them. Um, and to this day, I still don't know the answer to that. But that was one of you the craziest. The, you picked the wrong tech companies for sure. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I, I need to ask the important question. Did he get the dog back in the end? <laughs> no, so we bought him. We bought him an identical dog. It was a Siberian Aww. Husky and we had it delivered Aww. to him uh, shortly after the case was over. That's adorable. You have to keep the dog, but he got a new better dog. Yeah. I'm going to tell the old dog you said that. The old dog's a traitor. <laughs> yeah. Fair. No, I, I, I know that people can't see us because you're listening to us but Laura and I were like covering our our mouths with our hands the entire time <laughs> those aside from it being you know a really really sad story um I hope that uh what well, you know kind of technology seems to have had to have played a super pivotal role in uh you know at the happy ending there well you know the, the thing about and I've been saying this now for at least 15 years, the best or worst piece of evidence in every major piece of litigation I've seen, read, been involved in or heard has been an email or a text in the last 15 years. Okay. Let that sink in. The best or worst piece of evidence in every piece of litigation I've been involved in, read about, seen, or heard has been an email or a text in the last 15 years. And um, the reason is people don't treat emails and texts like they do formal documents, but juries do. So if you're a company and on your company letterhead, there's a text that says, we're going to screw the other company. 
Uh, and the, 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 and you just say, you know, you say things colloquially, you're talking in a conversation like, oh, we're going to screw them over on this deal. You might not mean you're going to like do anything improper. You're not going to uh, conspire with a competitor to put them out of business. You're not, you might not mean that, but those are words you use. When you put them in an email and it has a header of that company, the uh, a jury reads them as if they were the official memoranda, like your board got together and said, let's all vote. Are we going to screw this other company? Yes. Yep. We all voted. Let's take it to the shareholders. The shareholders all agreed we're screwing this other company. Um, and, and, and texts are almost as bad. We have this thing as human beings in, in this century that when we see something in writing, it has a power. And, and when you see a text printed out, um, it has you tend to believe that so much more than if the than if 10 people testified, that's what they said. I had a case where a guy stole several hundred thousand in PPP money out of a restaurant uh, a couple of months ago. And he texted my client, well, I took the money because you owe me things on another deal, which is a felony. Um, and which is not a reason you could take PPP money and probably not a reason you can just sweep money out of a business account anyway, right? And uh, we, when we went to the judge, we didn't have the text the first time. And the judge is kind of like, oh, he said, she said. The second time the judge reads the text and she's like, what, you know, what the hell is this? You can't take money for another debt. We're like, we told you that's what he said before. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the text. But that's the power of emails and texts yeah. in, in today's society. A jury and even oftentimes a judge reads an email as if it were the official corporate memo. And yet that's not how we use email. We use emails and texts to say things you would never put under the letterhead of your company, right? And you, you think you're being funny. There's no sarcasm button, which I greatly regret in both text and, and email. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a horrible typist. I don't really ever learn how to type. So when you when I send an email or text, you generally often get the shortest, if no or yes or maybe is an answer. That's what you get. And then people all the time think I'm mad at them. And I'm like, I'm not mad at you. I just don't type. <laughs> Like, if you want a longer answer, call me. I'll talk forever, as you can tell during this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'll talk forever, but I'm not sending any long text or, or, or emails because I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Paul, I think you, this is your time to tell Gabby how you have a phone for texting and a phone for people to call you on. No way. That's a real fact <laughs> of Paul. Yeah, and I think that, I need to see this. I think it's worth sharing. <laughs> okay. Wow. So which one is for texting and which is well, for Well, which calling? one do you think? You're going to text with this one? It'll take me five years to text back yes. I wish he had said that one. <laughs> I know. Just and wanted to clarify. Everyone everyone that knows me has in their, has in their like, you know, their contacts. Paul call, Paul text. Yeah, and that's, for people at that's home. That's a fact. Paul just showed a, a little, um, what is flip the, the flip, the flip phones? And LG then, flip phone. LG and an flip iPhone. phone. And an iPhone. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, last last question for you here, and then and then we'll let you go because we could probably talk about this for a while. So interesting. Um, but last question, like, we have a sense what will be the next, like, uh, what's going to be? Because I guess in our mindset, it's still those letterheads that are the the like we feel that is the kind of damning document, but it's actually text or emails but what's the next thing do you think like in in terms of technology or the way we're communicating with each other it's social media um and uh, i i'm not really on any social media so i'm I'm probably the last person to talk about it but i will tell you one of the first things i do 
is in any case is I, I asked someone who knows about social media, hey, go track down their social media. Tell me what it says. Tell me if it says anything interesting. The first thing we do when we get a jury pool, we have a person whose job is to go track down the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the uh, Twitter. Uh, have I named all the major? The the the. This is the major the ones. TikTok. Yeah. The TikTok. TikTok the, probably yeah. TikTok. You know, MySpace. Is that Tumblr. <laughs> thing. Tumblr. Um, but literally to go track those down because I can find out more about a juror. In five seconds, five seconds of perusing what they put on the internet than I can in reading a three-page questionnaire. Right. Um, so, so I, you know, social media has really become uh, a very um, interesting way to get inside the head of the other people, um, whether it's the opposing party, whether it's the opposing expert, um, whether it's trying to figure out the jury. Uh, you know, that's been... That that's been a hot, hot area um, in in the law. And that's why Paul does not believe in social media himself. Well, I mean, it's not like I think it's Santa Claus. <laughs> and it's not that I don't believe in it. I know it exists. <laughs> I just don't have time for it. And if I did, it would be TikTok. Oh, good pick. I can, I can see you as a TikTok. Yeah. I always TikToker. threaten my kid. I have a 17-year-old boy who's very into TikTok. And I'm always like... We'll, he'll, we'll be somewhere and his friends are there and they laugh at something I say. And I'm like, yeah, TikTok me. I'll break it. He's like, you don't even know what TikTok is, dad. You've never been on it. I go, I know enough to know that if I was on it, I'll shut it down. Yeah. I'm like, you want TikTok, TikTok him. There you go. And my kid gets so embarrassed because we'll be out, you know, pre-COVID, be out in a restaurant. All of a sudden I'll be yelling, TikTok me. <laughs> it's going to happen on like, these days. I don't have TikTok. I hope and I've so. never really looked at one except what he shows me. So. Awesome. <laughs> Well, Paul, this has been an amazing conversation. I think we've learned a lot. Um, I'm still not over the story that you shared with the lottery. Um, I'm going to marinate on that for, for quite some time now. But oh, I have um, three or four yeah. follow-up stories I'll tell you later on that. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> 85% of people that win the lottery are the exact same socioeconomic level they were three years after winning the lottery. All right. So you heard, Paul, don't win the lottery. It's not worth it. You pass your ticket to me. I'll try. Uh, with that being said, thanks again for coming on our show today, Paul. This has been awesome. And uh, we look forward to hearing more stories from you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. So, Laura, we just talked to Paul Lackey. Uh, what were your tech slash litigation takeaways for this episode? I'm still focused on how I should probably buy a lottery ticket. And um, so that's definitely number one, because (laughs) what I took from that is we'll likely win. Um, (laughs) Never, Never doubt. Never doubt. My second tech takeaway is that I really got to get Paul on TikTok because that would be amazing. And we got to figure that out. I could see that. I could see yeah. him being pretty popular on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Um, my third tech takeaway is I hope people that are listening to the show don't go out and say, you know what, actually, we should commit fraud right now because this is the time we're <laughs> off because it seems like it is. Yeah. For, I, for what I feel is like at least the second time on the show, we need to confirm we do not condone fraud <laughs> or felonies. Um, please don't 
think that about what we're saying. But if you're listening, uh, and you did commit fraud or a felony and you are looking for a good uh, tech solution to help you solve this or a good lawyer, um, reach out to us. It seems that we have met so many that might help you. We can hook you up. We can yeah, hook you up. For sure. Uh, I think the thing. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say he made some really good points on on the the Zoom situation. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of our stuff is focused around COVID because everything has changed this year, which is good and bad for our tech podcast. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I guess it doesn't change for us because we're still doing it over here. The major thing that I took away from this conversation was I never would have thought of like both the backlog from the pandemic, like, you know, when things do start getting back to normal and what impacts, what ripple effects that will have in litigation, but also opportunities for technology on how to find solutions to those problems. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think he was great. I, I want to bring him back on the show sooner than later to hear those other stories. Absolutely. Uh, Laura, where can people find us if they if they do want to reach out? You mean when they want to reach out, Gabby. That is what I mean. Yeah, they can check us out at www.thattechpod.com. They can check us out on LinkedIn and follow us on LinkedIn at thattechpod backslash LinkedIn or however that works on LinkedIn. I don't know. Search for us. Um, (laughs) They can also reach out to us. And you should. Anyone listening, send us an email. Ask to be on our show. Suggest someone to be on our show. Yes. Send us a diary entry. We will maybe read it on air because that sounds fun. Um, And you can can do that at emailing us at thattechpod at gmail.com. Absolutely. And if you're looking for ways to kind of support the show, there's a really easy way you can do that. Just go to Apple Podcasts, find us on on you know when you search for it, and give us a five-star rating and review. It should take probably with, you know, less than 60 seconds. And that just helps the algorithm. It helps people find us when they're looking for tech podcasts, and it's a huge help.